0: This morning's scripture reading is from the book of John 13, 1 through 17. John 13, 1 through 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. And so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them.
1: Oh, good morning. What a what a blessed time. What a thank you, Lord. And thank you God for growing oak trees and shade and, and thank you for those who mow this lawn. I it oh my goodness. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you for those songs that we just sang and the truth that is Buried so deep within them. You are the Ancient of Days. You are our great High Priest. Lord, help us to know and relax in those truths. To rest in You. But to rest in the sense of gaining our Energy and gaining our enthusiasm for you and touching the lives of those around us. So, from the rest in you, may our labors reach out to others. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, this Sunday, God has sort of laid on my heart a, a, um, a message, a, a study, if you will, uh, for those of you that are raising children. For those of you that are in the process of discipling your young ones and bringing them up. The others of you that are here, you can listen. It it, will be good for you. Uh, But uh, on my heart of late has been uh, the idea of bringing our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To have them not only make some sort of a profession of faith, In you, trusting Jesus as their savior, or however we might label that, but going on in the faith and following the Lord Jesus in their life. You see, uh, we—I guess what it brings it home to me in the day in which we live, in the day of masks, in the day of broken culture, in the day of broken homes, in the day of broken hearts, in the day of. Messed up a lot of things. Um, we talked. We talked about our schedule. What's our what's what's your schedule going to be this week? I don't know for sure what my schedule is going to be this week or this year or next year. Uh, we had the We were uh, some of us were going to head to Israel in March and and um, with Libya and and uh, oh my gosh. Uh, Kibby, I'll get it right. But um, that got canceled. It's scheduled for next March. Is that going to happen? It, it, you know, is there going to be a trip to Israel for me uh, next March? I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't bet on anything for the future. Uh, I, we just don't know. And, you know, that to me has begun to get into my heart and be a good thing. That, that's begin to say to me, where is your trust and, and what brings you joy and what brings you delight and what brings you assurance and what brings you peace? What brings you direction in life? You know, it's a time when we think about our physical safety We think about our health we think about our freedoms we think about opportunities we often say and i hear say and have probably said it myself several times boy i'm kind of apprehensive about the future that my children are going to experience and as you as young parents raising your children that would be a natural response to the way we're living and what's going on in our world and country, our whole world. That would be a natural response. And sometimes we express that as fearful of what's coming. And I would just say to you and ensure you as, and encourage you as young parents raising your children, that's not what scares me. What the future brings is not what scares me. What scares me or brings me concern is that will my children, will my grandchildren, will your children, and will your grandchildren know, love, and follow Jesus? Because that's really all that really matters. Christianity doesn't guarantee physical safety. Christianity doesn't guarantee good health. Christianity doesn't guarantee freedom. Christianity doesn't even guarantee opportunity. It doesn't guarantee nice homes. It doesn't guarantee nice neighborhoods. It doesn't guarantee nice schools. It doesn't even guarantee loving and understanding friends things are not guaranteed to us as followers of Christ. And sometimes we act as if we think they are or should be. What is guaranteed? Well, you can name them. I just wrote a few things down here. Guaranteed as a follower of Christ, I am guaranteed peace. Even in the midst of turmoil, I'm guaranteed peace. Even in the midst of heartache, I'm guaranteed peace joy i'm guaranteed eternity with my savior and with my believing friends those are guaranteed i'm guaranteed a friendship with the creator of this universe that he speaks us into existence and then he calls us his friends We're guaranteed his constant presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. We're guaranteed his ears that will listen to us and hear us and hear our pleads and pleas and hear our cries and hear our praises and hear our fears and hear our worries and hear our confessions. He is listening to his children. We are guaranteed his forgiveness, and we are guaranteed his direction. So with those things in mind, what do we want to pass on and instill in our children more than any other thing? And that's this relationship with Jesus Christ that's on a solid foundation, on a solid rock. Some of you have um, received, uh, Patty and I have sent out some um, videos to some of you that pray for us regularly, and uh, then others of you have seen it on Netflix. There's, a, there's the thing that goes uh, two and a half hours, a show on Netflix is called The American Gospel, and some of you have called me and asked me about that American Gospel, and I highly recommend that you watch it, um, get ready for a long evening uh, but it's worth it but as i listened to that and then heard questions from folks that um, were watching it and was wondering what i thought about it made me even think more about let's talk about the gospel for a few sundays let's let's ponder over some ideas ponder over some of the words of the gospel Do, do we understand the gospel? Or can we have a better understanding of the good news of the gospel? And so that's where we'll turn this morning. And if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we will look at um, just the plain statement of the gospel that Paul makes in chapter 15 verses 1 through 3. According to a Gallup poll from the, uh, 2016 to 2018, 41% of adults in the United States said and claimed that they were born again, 41%. At a later poll by Pew Research, asking more general questions, 65% Of adults in america this is in 19 last year 65 percent said they were christians now i don't know about you but i think there's a misunderstanding somewhere about being born again and being a christian now maybe there are or maybe there was 41% 41% of our population born again in that period of time they tested six in year 16 to 18. But from what I see in the pages of Scripture and what I've observed in my own life, when people are born again, when they come to Christ, and our little Christ is what Christian means, says that the the disciples were first called Christians in this town. So, my observation of that is it's pretty life-changing. Now, there is the possibility that people can be born again and when the little kid fell out of bed in the middle of the night, and his dad went in to get him. He was laying on the floor. And he put him back in bed and he said, What happened? And he said, I fell asleep too close to where I got in. You know what? I think, I, I think that's an issue and I think that's a problem. And I think that's something that needs to be addressed in the body of Christ, the discipleship of believers. But I think the other thing that also needs to be questioned is, and the Bible tells us to question this in our lives, is, are we in? Are we in? Are we believers? Are we born again? And so, as we look at the Gospel, I want to examine some things here, read you some things, and throw out some thoughts to you. And I, I, I honestly don't claim at all to be the expert on this subject. What I am doing, I am perusing through Scripture. I'm talking to folks. I'm I'm trying to understand what it is that happens in lives that I have had a part in that profess Christianity and profess to be saved, but years later show no sign or desire to follow Christ. And so I, I, I look at my own teaching and I look at my own discipling and look at my own counseling with folks. And I said, Jerry, the last thing you want to do is if you give somebody false hope that they're a Christian. Now, I'm not judging whether any of those people that I'm talking about are unsaved, or saved. I'm just saying that it certainly looks like the fruit of their lives doesn't look like much of a change. much of the result of being born again. Examine the scriptures and think about those things. Let's let's look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I make known to you verse 1, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you were also saved. Pretty interesting, isn't it? It's been preached to you, you've received it, you're standing in it, and you're saved by it. Very clear. But then he puts in a disclaimer, so to speak, or a little however, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you unless you believed in vain. So according to that verse, there seems to me to me to be a belief that could be in vain. It could be a belief that is not a saving belief. Could he be referring to the the belief that James is talking about when he said, you tell me you have faith, but your faith without works is dead. How can that faith save you? Or he could be talking about the faith that James talks about that Satan and the angels have a belief that they have in Christ. It is a non-submissive faith or belief. They believe, but it's not something that ever leads them to submission. God forbid. Could it be seen in the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils, whichever way you want to call that in Matthew? Where the Word of God is spread out and it falls on hard ground, shallow ground, thorny ground, good good ground. and as we read through that passage and understand it, there's three soils there that eventually reject it. there's one soil that produces fruit, albeit some a hundredfold, albeit less and I'll be not all the same kind of fruit. Not, not all fruit as much. But there certainly seems to be the idea that a some belief of some kind can be raised up and flourish for a while and when the cares of this world come in and choke it out. Now, that could be what he's talking about here when he says... If you've, unless you've believed in vain. That's not really where I want to go this morning. I just want to bring that to your attention. Maybe we can come back to it in another Sunday. But he says this in verse 3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins. Now that's interesting because he doesn't say that Jesus died for our sins. There's other places that are going to include Jesus in it. But here he says, Christ died for our sins. And so that raises the question in my mind, when we think about the gospel, when we think about who we place our faith in to be saved, who is it? Who is it that we're placing our faith in? Who is it that we're accepting this gift of the forgiveness of sins from well scripture teaches it's christ the messiah the anointed one of god we follow that him through clear through the old testament it starts in genesis and it goes clear through the bible that is the creation creator in genesis chapter 1 He's the one in the burning bush that says, Hey, Moses, come here. And then you know what he tells Moses? What does he tell Moses? Take off your sandals, friend. You're on holy ground. It's that same God that appears to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5 as the Lord as the captain of the Lord of the hosts, Lord of hosts, or or host of heaven, some interpret. And he tells Joshua, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. You're in the presence of God. So, this Christ from the Old Testament that we see as King of kings and Lord of lords and ancient of days and and the high priest of the Old Testament is this one that goes to the cross for us. He's the Christ, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. When our salvation is spoken of in Romans, turn with me to Romans, and I want to read there on verses that you're real familiar with, Uh, Romans chapter 3, 5, 6, talking about our salvation, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There he is. He's Jesus, he's Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we will also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." Chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Lord, in, in, in some of these passages, that doesn't necessarily mean um, Jehovah God, but it always means somebody that is in charge, somebody you submit to, somebody that is worthy of, you to follow um in 1945 a gentleman um i've read a little of his stuff i am not i'm not crazy about him as a writer necessarily or as a preacher but i was reading some of his stuff not long ago about his passage his um, take on this passage uh, in john chapter 13 that we read i, w- I just want to read a little of this to you it's uh, 75 years ago and actually, in other comments that I'm not going to read to you, he was concerned that our hymns are about Jesus, 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 and not so much about Christ, Jesus, our Lord. And he, he it was bothering him that um, we seem to be maybe letting slip away uh, the whole identity of Jesus. He says this, uh, John 13, thirteen we'll turn to it in a minute. He says, You call me Master Lord, and Lord, and you say, well, that's right, for so I am, surely this is sufficient, this man says, surely this is sufficient for any humble-minded Christian. If our blessed Redeemer says we say well. We say this well, when we address him as master and Lord, how can we afford to speak of him in terms upon which his approval is not stamped? Now, you can take all this with a grain of salt, you know, but I'm throwing it out there for you because it, it challenges my thinking. Never once do we find the apostles addressing him as Jesus while he was with them on earth. That may surprise you. When He exhorted them to make a request of Him for an increase of laborers, remember when He said that? Pray thee, therefore, who? The Lord of the harvest. When He set forth His disciples to secure the donkey on which He was to ride in Jerusalem, He ordered them to say, Jesus told, Jesus said? No, He said, the Lord hath need of Him. When He required the use of the upper room, it was the... The Lord saith, My time time is at hand. I will therefore keep the Passover at thy house. Turn with me to John uh, chapter 13. I better shuffle through my notes so I don't get off track. Well, I always get off track, so that probably doesn't make much difference. This has been some time ago when we were reading together that we read through the book of John. But I hope you paused here for a little bit. Because as as I've been reading back through this chapter and thinking about it, and thinking about that night that he was with his disciples and he desired to eat the Passover with them. And he ate the Passover with 11 who were going to be righteous, and he ate the Passover with one who was going to betray him. But he ate the Passover with him. I think of him in that setting, sharing that Passover, and knowing that they didn't know at the time what this all amounted to. But he said, you'll you'll understand this later, Peter. You'll understand this later. And then it said he got up from the supper. He got up from the dining, the bread, the wine. And he took a basin and he went over and washed their feet. And that's what was read to us by Bill. It is to me when I read this, this is one day away from the crucifixion. This is that God of the Old Testament and of the New, who was the God of creation, the God of the burning bush, the God who spoke to Joshua and told him, both he and Moses, take your feet off, this is holy ground. This is that same person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is showing His humility before them. As I've been reading this, it's, to me, it's like holy ground. You you read through this chapter and, and you see the Savior, the God of gods and Lord of lords that can speak, has spoken, Universe into existence, and yet here he is bowing down. Here, this is the kind, this is the Savior, this is the King, if you will, this is the great high priest, if you will, that we have. We will talk next Sunday about the next phrase Christ who died for our sins and see, see, see what we can pull out of that and understand out of that. But here, pressed on my mind, is the idea that this Savior is the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, Lord. Which causes me to ask the question of myself. In my living and in my inviting others to join me as a follower of Christ, am I portraying Him for who He is? Savior, Lord of Lords, and King of Kings. You see, because my message may not match my life, but it's supposed to. Got one other thing I want to read to you in a moment, but I, I thought I would do as a demonstration and I, I asked my brother out here if I could wash his feet and uh, he and his wife and they said yes. And I, I just think that as I, I think of going to get that basin and washing their feet, what a Savior, what a God. What a king of kings. See, his kingship is like none other. Oh yeah, he's the judge. And his wrath will fall on all who do not believe. This does not make him not the judge. Because he is the judge. And because he is the king of kings, he is also the Savior. Coming to seek and to save. That which is lost. What a beautiful picture in John 13 that we put together. All right. If I would have thought of it, I would have put ice water in this. Oh. <laughs> Lady, can I take off your shoe? Ooh, what pretty feet says he he poured out the water and what was Peter's reaction no, not me not me and then the Lord goes on to say well I'm, I, I, I need to wash you You need to be washed. And that's when Peter is saying, wash all of me. And he said, well, you are washed, but not all of you. You see, there's a picture in there of the washing of regeneration of Christ regenerating us by his blood. But then there's the picture of the daily need to wash our feet. To wipe the dust of this world off of them. The sins in our life. And for time, I'm just going to wash two feet. One of each person. (laughs) But. There's all kinds of lessons in this. But that we need to do it to one another, that we need to humble ourselves before one another, that we need to serve one another. But the real lesson to me is letting my mind and my heart dwell on a King of kings and Lord of lords that would stoop down and wash my feet. The humble Christ. It's a privilege, thank you. Sometimes in talking about his compassion and talking about his love and talking about his servanthood, we can ignore the fact or forget the fact that he's the God of the burning bush. He's the God that when you come to Him, you're walking on holy ground. When you're asking your child or your friend to put their trust in Jesus, you're asking them to put your trust in the God of the holy ground of the burning bush. The God who spoke creation into existence the God that will someway, someday sit and separate the sheep from the goats and seems to have no issue with those that have rejected Him as his, their Lord and Savior as sending them to an eternity in hell. That's the God that we're asking people to embrace for the forgiveness of their sins. I read, um, I look back, I just read you something from 75 years ago and now I want to read you something from 1600s. It's in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, 1674, what did the old boys think? How is Jesus Christ, the question, this is a set of lessons. How is Jesus Christ to be received by faith? Jesus Christ, the answer is to be received by faith as he has offered to us in the gospel. I want that, well, that's cool. Next question. How is Jesus Christ offered to us in the gospel? Answer, Jesus Christ is offered to us in the gospel as priest, prophet, and king. I I didn't know all the songs that Derek was going to pick, but wow, wow. Jesus Christ is offered to us in the gospel as priest, prophet, and king. And so we must receive him if we would be saved by him. 1674, Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's interesting. It's, it's been encouraging to me and a little bit more than challenging to me to say I was going to bring four messages on the gospel according to Scripture. And I think I said that over at Warner's, and I think some of you might have chuckled. Where else would the gospel be but according to Scriptures? But when we search all the Scriptures, it challenges us to see if in my own life am I saying? Just Jesus? Am I saying Christ Jesus? Am I saying Christ Jesus, my Lord? And I trust if you're here this morning and you've been wrestling with some of these things, and maybe you're new to the group, or maybe you maybe you haven't been coming to church very long, and maybe you're trying to examine um, what it is that Christians really believe. Well, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the Creator, the Great High Priest that takes intercession for us. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we take the gift of salvation from him and accept it. We're accepting it from that person, King of kings, Lord of lords, the great Jehovah God. And I would urge you that if you're not a believer, if you haven't made that decision yet, I was just sharing with somebody yesterday that my dad, one of the best and greatest, if I could say that, men that, well, that I've known, was in his 60s, knew the gospel. Oh, I mean, how could he not know it? It had been hammered at him for 40 years or more, 50. And he related the story that I was mowing in the bottom meadow. And I put my head, stopped the tractor, took it out of gear, put my head down on the steering wheel, And cried to God, please forgive me, save me. Yeah. A belief turned to submission. Where does salvation take place in those situations? Listen, I'm just a country boy trying to work my way through scripture. Don't ask me hard questions. But he got saved. He was saved after that. I'll tell you that. And his life changed after that. There was fruit for repentance. Our Father God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the body of Christ. And I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you for your leadership. In our lives. Lord I pray for these young couples. That are raising their children. That these children will grow up. Knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Jesus of the gospels. The great I am. The king of kings. And lord of lords. Who went to the cross. For them. And we'll just praise you and thank you for that in eternity in Christ's name. Amen.
2: We're going to just go ahead and close in prayer today, but we do encourage you guys to be checking the prayer chain. Um, So many of the requests in our body are shared there, and we encourage you, if that's not something that you typically do, to consider sharing those prayer requests so that we as a church can be um, taking those to the Lord and fulfilling Um, that function and that role in the body of Christ. So let's pray. Father God, we just uh, come to you, Lord. We come to you. We are so grateful uh, for your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Uh, and Father, we are grateful for his lordship, and we just pray that we would be at a church that in times that are troubled, and times that are uncertain economically and politically, that we would see uh, the lordship of Christ and that we would revel and rejoice and delight in that, that we would be a people who remembers uh, how you have uh, triumphed for your people and and sometimes despite your people, Lord, through history. We just uh, remember, Father, Noah lived through a century of ridicule, Uh, before he saw the power of God and the justice of God in his time. And it's an ungodly generation. And Jehoshaphat came and cried out to you, Lord, when Ammon and Moab came to the gates of Jerusalem. And uh, you told him, you need not fight this battle, Lord. And when Israel awoke the next day, lepers found um, that that army did not exist. And Father, we know that Mary and the apostles and the disciples who knew and loved Jesus Christ watched him die before they watched him rise from the dead. And we just pray that we would be a church that remembers uh, the end that you have said unequivocally that you will reign, that your church will persevere, uh, and that the gates of hell will not be able to resist the gospel. And the power of Jesus Christ, and so we just pray you would strengthen our hearts. And as we wait for that day, we just pray for um, our needs in our own midst. So I just thank you so much for uh, this little girl, Magnolia Mather, and for her family as they've trusted in you and looked to you even through heartache, and and they have uh, been granted a healthy daughter who is born. And Father, we just pray for Shannon. Uh, I know she's has an ulcer and I just pray for her body that it would recover and that the doctors would be able to uh, help her and guide her. We just pray, Lord, that there would be a, a dietary fix to that that wouldn't require a lot of invasive medicine or surgery, Lord. We pray for uh, Bob Parker who's unable to uh, swallow well and is losing weight and, and struggling with that. I just pray ask, Lord, that uh, you would just give his doctor's wisdom, and and we do pray that that wouldn't be a resurgence of his cancer, Lord, but we know he, he knows you, and he trusts you, and I just pray that he would uh, seek you in this time, and help us to uh, uphold him in prayer, and Father, I pray for Doug Cowell, Lord, uh, in his lung cancer, that you would sustain him, that he would uh, know uh, in this uh, time of struggle. Uh, your Your power not just as a deliverer but as a sustainer and we just pray um, for so many Lord that that this would be a time uh, of just greatest rejoicing, a greatest growth in their faith as they struggle through the, the difficulties of life but see you in the midst of that. And Lord I just also don't know why but in this morning was thinking about um, uh, the Mathers and how they have uh, lost children to death but how there are also others in our church who have uh, not lost children physically, but those children are not following you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would um, uh, give us as believers hope that you are a God who seeks and saves the lost. Uh, and that until they uh, are departed from this world, there is always hope that you will reach them and that you will take hearts that are stone and make them flesh and that you will show them your grace and your love and that we might be here to witness your power in that process. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we are so grateful for you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.